I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Randy Smith. Randy is the founder of Impact Equity, uh, which was formed to help investors achieve strong results in their passive real estate investing strategies. Randy's main responsibilities include introducing and assisting investors with investment opportunities offered by various real estate investment firms. So first, Randy, let me say thank you so much for uh, coming and, and taking the time out to be on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, let's start and just just sort of give the listeners your background. Tell us, uh, tell us where you came from, how you got into real estate, all of that, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, I am uh, a recently retired, and I'll say air quotes retired, I got laid off again, um, corporate America sales guy after after 25 years. Um, I worked for a couple of very large organizations, Fortune 100, Fortune 200 companies, um, was really, really blessed to work with amazing people and, and amazing organizations. And, um, you know, ended up about five or six years ago, I got the real estate itch. So I started investing in single families and then found very quickly that um, that was not something that I wanted to scale or do full time. Uh, so I moved over into the passive investing space. And as luck would have it, when I got laid off last May, uh, a, a large portion of my monthly household expenses were covered by passive in, passive income. So I got to really um, kind of pick and choose what it was that I was going to do for the next phase of, of my life, which um, I, as I'm finding today, kind of my superpower is um, vetting and uncovering good opportunities in the passive investing space and then helping other people do the same thing. Yeah, that's great. And so I know you mentioned that you got laid off. Um, obviously, that's a challenging situation. But but a couple of things I wanted to sort of just focus on there. One is this is I think this is a big part of why those of us in the space um, get, you know, sort of so passionate about it, because it's it's building your your passive income streams is going to help you so that if someday something goes wrong, you, you've got a cushion, you've got that fallback. Um, yeah. And so you had realized that so that, you know, it, with enough time that basically you had, you, as you said, you had passive income to cover once you were laid off. So it's, it's not good that you got laid off, but, mm -hmm. but you were sort of in that position of, of covering those expenses uh, via passive income. So it's, and it's, you know, it wasn't like that was 30, it didn't take you 30 years to get to that. Right. You said, you know, right. you, you had been doing it for four or five years. And so it, it's a important thing, I think for the listener to, to take home with that is like, when we talk about these opportunities and you, you know, that you see real estate investors getting all hyped up about it. The reason is, is likely because we've experienced it within our own lives and seen, Hey, you know, some event happened, something came up and 
we either realized the importance of having this passive income and pivoted, or like yourself, you, you had already sort of found it and we're working towards that so that when something, a, an unexpected life event did happen, you were mm-hmm. already prepared. So I, I just think it's, it's something that really important uh, or worthwhile to to point out there. So thanks for sharing the story. And, and so now what you're doing at this point is, are, are you working in a, a fund model? Is that kind of how you're operating? Tell, tell us a little bit about your business model. Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting story. I, I found, I think probably my third passive investment was with a local operator here in Phoenix, Arizona. And he, he just happens to be one of the biggest and I, I'm probably a little partial, but I think he's one of the best operators in the country in apartment class C class B value add. And, um, over the last couple of years, I had invested in, I think at the time I was in six or seven, maybe even eight deals with him because I I had grown to be just a very big fan of him and the organization. And um, I had been following him for years. So I, I have a lot of faith in him, uh, so much so that I have about 25% of my net worth tied up with this one operator. So um, I'm a big, big fan. Um because of that, I had actually referred quite a number of different investors to him because I was telling everybody I knew how excited I was about what I was doing in this passive income space. space. And I didn't really have any intention of becoming um, an operator or a capital raiser or whatever that whatever the terms are that are out there. Um, I was just I was genuinely excited about what I was doing. So when I got laid off, um, he and I reconnected. And, you know, ultimately I had been bringing investors to him already. So we just formalized it and I'm doing that officially now for a handful of his deals. And, and yes, I do leverage a couple of different strategies because I have um, two different partners that I bring investors to leveraging a fund to fund model. And then I have one operator that I work with that I actually get to be a portion of their business and own a portion of their business by bringing investors to their to their group. So um, there's a number of different ways you could structure it, but essentially I am getting to be a part of that process and I get to benefit from that as well when we provide excellent returns for our investors. Sure. So I want to maybe clarify that because I think it's an interesting thing for people to understand those the difference in those structures between the fund 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 of fund models versus I'm assuming you're saying like a co GP situation that's on, in in the other okay so yep. do you want to kind of clarify that define that for people so they understand what the difference if if someone's looking to be in uh, potentially in the capital raising space there are a couple of different ways to do it so maybe maybe speak to that i think it'll be a good thing for people to to get the idea yeah. an idea of, of what it could look like for them yeah absolutely and it's 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 a very very important distinction because uh, according to the sec you technically cannot be paid for just simply raising capital as an individual you can't um so in the fund to fund model, I specifically do, and I don't, I'm not even sure what the official term is, but I call it single asset fund to fund, where my partner identifies an opportunity. He comes to me and says, Randy, do you think your investors might like this? And if so, how much? I tell him a ballpark what I think I might be able to bring to the table. And then 
I launched this opportunity to my investors who I already have a pre-existing relationship with over you know the many years in corporate America or friends or family, whatever that might be, right? right? Now, since I am bringing a bigger dollar to the table, my fund actually gets better returns that, than what the traditional retail investor right. will get. So as an example, if the, the traditional retail investor is getting a 7 pref 70-30, my fund could earn an 8 pref 80-20 as an example. And those are terms we can dig into if that's necessary. But the bottom line is I get better terms and I give the majority of that to my investors and I keep the difference essentially. Okay. Yep. So the investors are actually investing in my fund, which is designated to invest in the operator's fund. Yeah. And you're doing it that way just to, I guess you touched on this, but maybe just to spell it out very simply is that your investors can get a better return investing via your fund than they would if they invested directly in that deal. That That's, that's the advantage for them in the sense that because you're pooling capital within your fund, now you can bring that to this deal and you're, that's what allows you to get those better returns. Whereas if they're going to put what, you know, if they're going to put 50,000 in your fund or 50,000 in the, uh, in the actual deal via that, mm -hmm. you know, the it, it just changes. It's that, I guess, pooling of capital power that really makes it, makes it effective that way. Yeah. And, and so there, I mean, there's a number of different ways that I'm bringing value to the table outside of that as well, yeah. where, um, you know, I, I like to think that my, my expertise and my superpower now is vetting and finding good deals. Mm -hmm. So I am only putting deals in front of my investors that I've personally vetted. I've likely walked these properties. I've seen the financials. I have a much better idea than the, you know, really the person I work with most is the guy who's doing his first, second, maybe third investment in this space. So yeah. they're they're getting to take advantage of my knowledge and my experience and my relationships and get access to deals that they wouldn't normally have access to without a relationship with me. So right. a number of different things that I'm bringing. Um, I, I'm also bringing like diversification to them where I have multiple operators that I work with in VET and uh, I'm bringing diversification across asset class, um, operator, market, and uh, deal. So diversification across many different channels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then contrast that, I guess, with with being co-GP. How, how is that different for you and, and uh, maybe also for your investors? Yeah, so as, as a co-GP, I actually am part of the operating entity. Um, people are no longer investing in me. They're actually investing in my partner's entity. Um, I get a percent ownership in that deal. And I do actually have um, responsibilities outside of bringing investor capital to the table. So of course, I've got to deal with um, and do investor relations. Um, I usually have some type of asset management uh, requirements. I'm likely involved in, in regular communication in asset management decisions, uh, working with property managers, walking the properties, um, doing due diligence, checking on comps, all kinds of different things. I actually get to get to get my hands dirty a little bit more, which I like. Yeah. Um, and then I also get to peek behind the curtains a little bit more and see what's really going on with the business as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's an interesting 
I think that's one of the the coolest things about real estate is like there's so many ways to do it. There's so many ways to be involved, and even even as you know, you you yourself can find several different ways to be involved and and be you know an important part of deals, um, and and that does allow your investors to have that level of diversification where it's you know whether they're in the fund or they're they're in this you know particular deal as part of where you're the co GP. It's just it's just nice that there are so many ways to do it. And then as long as you can stay within and, and be aware of those SEC regulations, it just it just opens up the door for for a lot of uh, you know people in your network and things like that. Um, when you're so you, I know we spoke before and you're, you're pretty focused in drivable uh, drivable markets, <laughs> right? Or short they, flight, short flight, yeah, short is flight. what okay. I say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, short flight away, you know, something close to you. And talk about your reasoning behind that, because there, I mean, I, I've heard people have sort of strong opinions both ways. Like, sure. If it's not in my, you know, if it's not in my city, what does it matter? But then other people feel very strongly about being within uh close range of the asset. So I'm just interested in, in sort of your take on that. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, you and I both have some experience with Atlanta, and we're both pretty close to the west west coast. I'm I'm actually in Phoenix. I believe you're in Los Angeles, right? right. Um, and I own some properties in Atlanta, and that was I mean I don't remember. It's this three and a half four hour flight. Um, you know, you add a couple of hours on the front end, back end commute right. time, all that other stuff. Like it's it's a half a day from the time I decide to leave my house until I'm landing in Atlanta, and um, I, I'm just a guy that likes to get my eyes on my investments. And um, I think a lot of times decks and presentations have the best pictures at the best time of day with the perfect lighting and right. the sunny skies. Right. And, you know, let's make sure everybody's like all the riffraff is not hanging around and all that other stuff. Um, so I like cruising by my properties at seven o'clock at night to see what's going on there. I, I want to show up on a Sunday and see what a Sunday afternoon looks like. I want to drop in and say hello to the property manager and see if they're smiling. And are, are they even there? Quite frankly, a lot of times I, right. I've had some situations where you go and nobody's even there. Um, and, and there's nothing better than walking around a property and just casually talking to a couple of the employees or a couple of the tenants to really know what's going on at those assets, right? So personally, I want to be able to hop on a plane or drive down kind of unannounced. Um, not that I'm like spying on anybody, but I just, I like to see how normal operations are going on sure. with my investments and my investors' investments. And um, too much longer than a two-hour flight makes it not, for me, not able to do like a turnaround day trip. Um I don't quite have the stamina that you do to do the, uh, you know, the late night flights oh, out. I don't, and I don't enjoy kind of it. Stuff. I can assure you, I don't enjoy it. It's, oh, it's I, just I, a, I can't a imagine. evil. Yeah. Yeah. I think in my, in my late twenties, early thirties, I would have loved that. But, you know, I turned 50 last year. Like I like to get up and get to the airport around nine and be back by about six and have my business done. Yeah. So um, it, it really just is. I like to be there more often. That's it. I, I get it. I, uh, I totally understand that. <laughs> <laughs> that perspective and and yeah i don't enjoy those red eyes but it it, it for me it's there were other reasons to 
and and still are you know reasons to be in Atlanta. I do I do love the market. There's lots of other good markets. I, but, I love Atlanta as well. I absolutely yeah, do. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a fun it's a fun place to go visit too. Right. You know. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I but I totally understand what you're getting at. It, it's not. I've done it in a day. It's not an enjoyable day. It's it's a, yeah. a long time, a lot of uh, on the on the a, very little sleep and a lot of time on a plane. So yeah, it's um it's a challenging thing, but um I get that. So as you as you grow your, I guess maybe before I ask that question, kind of what's what's your vision? How do you kind of see your business growth going over the next three five years? Sure, sure, and it's it. This is very early stage, um, first time entrepreneur experience. So when I when I started this business, my my dream and goal was to be able to put a deal a month in front of my investors and give them diversification across asset classes, operators, markets, and then deals. So that that was kind of the over the overarching goal of what I was trying to do, and ultimately help the first time passive investor take that plunge and invest in their very first deal. So that, that is why impact equity was born. Um, fast forward eight months or so. And I've, I've now helped, Oh, call it, call it 60 investors at this point, And we've invested about $4 million. Um, so my, my overarching goal right now is I'm trying to bring in $2 million a month. And the overall goal is to help 1000 people with their first, second, and third investments. And if you start thinking about the gravity of taking even just a million dollars, if you're able to double a million dollars in two to five or six or even seven years, mm -hmm. the impact that that has um, on the individual investor is significant. And if you start thinking about um, folks that are able to do 25, 50, 100 grand once a year or even once every other year, like that can be a retirement plan that creates a livable income like long before people with the the handcuffs of the 401ks and the IRAs will ever get to even touch those dollars. So, yeah. you know, if if we can open up and help people see the the benefits of passive investing in real estate earlier, um it it gives people the option to become work optional or um like ultimately decreasing their dependence on their W-2 and the stock market. So I, I don't know. I think it's a really big deal and I think we can help a lot of people by doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's that, you know, sort of people use that sort of doubling of, of the equity every, every five years is a, is a rough guesstimate, but it's, you know, sure. if the market's really good. It might be two or three years. If it's a little bit of a slower time, it might be seven, but the reality is that's kind of the cycle that's happening. And so, the the earlier you get involved in that and and if you can put a chunk of money in each year and that's doubling you know as you go along and so now you're in this it we're in this uh this type of i guess what do you call it snowball effect i guess sure, it would be sure where yeah. it's just you know doubling each one is doubling and you've got it going so as you exit those you reinvest you have all of those kind of um different opportunities happening at once and it just it's just going to grow so it's a pretty cool a pretty cool snowball to create and and i think i agree with you it's like very very passionate about getting that out to people i think the other thing is one of the 
you know, you mentioned the stock market, the, the thing I, when, when I started to really dig in on real estate, people try to compare stock market to real estate all the time. It's a very common thing, like which one's better. And if you, if you look at the returns, even if you were to say that the returns on an annual basis are exactly the same, even if that were true, the, the reality is that you're, you've still to use the money from the stock market, you have to then sell those stocks. Whereas mm -hmm. if you can get your money invested in cash flowing real estate, that's just continuing to grow. The basis is continuing to grow. So it's, yep. to me, it's not even really comparable, I guess, as far you, you, you can look at what that, you know, sort of cash on cash, but unless you're investing exclusively in dividend stocks, which mm -hmm. you've got to have a lot of them to be getting, you know, significant cash flow off of them. It's, it's an entirely different vehicle. So I, I think uh, it, it's, it's not, it's not a apples to apples comparison, I guess. Not all, and, it, and that doesn't even factor in all of the tax benefits that you right. get from right. real estate as well, which, which some could argue are even more important than the returns that you get in real estate, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's valid. It's a very valid point. I think, and it, there, I mean, there are people that invest in real estate that that is their primary goal is just that the, the tax tax benefits are so substantial that that's what they're trying to get out of it. You know, great, you get yeah. some cash flow too, but really they're looking for those losses against, uh, you know, whatever their other investments are or their, you know, W2, if they're able to apply those losses, it's just, it's a very powerful vehicle. Um, yeah. I'll ask you to to put on your, open up your crystal ball. Oh, good. What do you see? <laughs> this is a, It's an interesting time. And I just, I've been asking people lately because I'm just, really curious what everybody else thinks about, you know, sort of what do you, where do you see the market going this year, the, maybe 2023, 2024? What, what are your thoughts sure. on how things are going to go? So had you asked me um, a week ago, or let's call it 10 days ago, before all of the stuff with the banking going on, I thought I had a pretty good idea on what was going to go on. I thought we were going to see interest. Maybe we'd see one maybe two more interest rate hikes is what I, what I thought at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was cautiously optimistic that maybe on this next announcement next week that there would not be an increase, but I, I wasn't brave enough to say that just yet. But um, I think we're going to see interest rates start to level off, you know, middle of the year towards, you know, Q4. And then we've got hopefully this six month window where we'll see them stabilize as, as if history repeats itself, we'll see them stabilize for six months or so. And then hopefully, which puts us about a year from now, we might see a rate drop slightly, right? Um, so I, I, you know, I've been hearing this thing survive, survive until 25. Um, I think really what, what the goal here is um, try to get through this year. Um, and I think you'll be in a position where you can actually um, start to see cap rates start to compress again. And then that's going to create just a just a storm of activity that um, folks that have the infrastructure and have the business and have, um, you know, the good business sense will be able to step in and hopefully really help a lot of people and uh, help themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that the, the interesting thing is, I mean, I guess you can't predict 100 percent, but as you said, like history says it's it, there, there are market cycles, right? And so the rates go up, then they're going to level off, then they're going to go back down. 
what I think is going to be hard is is really hard to predict, and it, it's so far it's been so so outside of what I would have thought ha- would happen mm-hmm. that it's like I I'm not an economist. I wouldn't have tried to predict before, but I'm just like they can't possibly destroy the entire economy by raising rates. <laughs> oh wait, they are they are doing yeah. that. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, now I feel like any any of the common sense that might have come with it is is uh, out the win- out the window. But um, yeah, it's the time frame of how this is going to go is, is probably the most um, intriguing part. And it's, so in the meantime, you know, my, my wonder, as you said, survive until 25, my wonder is that, is this truly going to create a bunch of buying opportunities, which some people are speaking to it that way, or is it going to be something that, you know, people are more people than not are sort of set up to just hang on until, until things mm-hmm. get better again. And, and, you know, you, you obviously, you don't want to have to sell right now. Like that's no, right. that's no secret. Um, but you know, some people are going to have to, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But, you know, but I also think, um, you know, there, there, the doom and gloomers out there think that all of this bridge rate or this bridge loans are going to come due. People aren't going to be able to refinance and then they're going to dump the market. Um, I don't think personally, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that there are opportunistic lenders out there that are going to step in and offer some type of additional financing to those folks, yeah. albeit at a at a higher rate, I'm sure. And that, you know, those folks will take advantage of that opportunity, but it will protect the investors and it'll protect the investors or the operators that didn't have the wherewithal to buy those those rate caps early on or have the rate caps or the reserves to potentially buy those again. So I'm I'm not of the doom and gloom mindset. I just, I'm a glasses half full type of guy. And I think there will be, I think even in today's market, there are plenty of good opportunities out there. Everybody tells me that they can't find deals. And yet I have got more deals on my plate right now than I have ever had. So, you know, I think the big players, the smart players are finding the opportunities and they're going to continue to put those in front of their investors. And I like to, I like kind of the dollar cost averaging strategy as a passive investor where, you know, find the needle in the haystack and continue to invest throughout the cycle. And I think that's a better strategy than trying to sit on the side and try to time whenever the most opportune time is to buy or to sell or whatever that is. So, yeah. And I mean, you could argue that what people argue, what the most opportune time to buy or sell is like we had a, a year, year and a half ago, the market was so hot. People, some people didn't want to buy. And now the market's down and people don't want to, but other people don't want to exactly. buy it. It's just like exactly, this, yeah. this constant, if if you're, if you are looking at it from that sort of negative light, it, it's never a good time. But the reality is, is that that's the beauty of real estate is, is time, right? So you're not, yeah. you're not buying it to fit to, you know, sort of exit it in, in three months, you're buying it. It's, it's probably a bad time to flip right now, but it's, it's, still a good time to have, you know, sort of long-term holds. So of course um, it's, it's definitely something that people need to be aware that of, of if they're, you know, not all real estate is created equal and not all investing mm-hmm. strategies are created equal. And so uh, investing with someone uh, that they trust like yourself and, in and you're doing sort of the vetting of those, those deals for them. That's a really nice, nice structure to have. Yeah. Um, Randy, let me switch gears. I want to, I want to get to ask you the questions I ask every guest um, the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why. Uh, and so I always ask every guest, what is your why? What, what drives you? You had 
it sounds like you were um, fairly financially free, even with this layoff. So um, what what's driving you at this point to kind of continue? I know you talked a little bit about, you know, having this um, a thousand investors and, and everything. So it, it sounds, yeah. like, um, sounds like you've got some significant uh, goals. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, it's interesting you say that too, because yes, I think I, my wife and I talk about this, like we could, we could kind of sit back and kind of cool off and just ride this thing out. You know, essentially we'd probably be just fine if we did that. Um, and yet I'm probably working harder now than I've ever worked in my entire life. Um, which is an interesting thing because I always, I, I met with entrepreneurs for, for 10 years in my last job. And I was always baffled, like, why do they work so many hours? Like, quite frankly, <laughs> I'm making more money than most of these guys and yeah. yet they're blood, sweat and tears. Anyways, I now understand, right. What it's like to be an entrepreneur and put everything you got into it. And, um, you, you know, I, I think like the easy answer is family. The easy answer is, um, you know, helping those that I love the most. Um, but I, I will say like at the core, like my why is, um, and it sounds a little selfish, but I like to be an expert and I like to help people with what it is that I'm good at. And if I'm giving value and I'm helping people, that's when I feel flow state more than anything in the world is being able to add value and, and, and truly help people. Um, so that that's kind of the why, and that's kind of why impact equity was formed is that I'm going to continue passive investing. And if I can help other people do the same thing, that that's what I want to do. It's, it's really cool to walk out and give my wife a, a high five because we, we had a deal go full cycle, but for those that, I know, like, and trust and the people that I love the most, if I'm able to help them do the same thing, like that's a big, big deal to me. Um, and through our success, we've been able to help our family in a way that, um, I mean, it's, it's been transformational, the type of things that we've been able to do for our family because of the success that we've had. And I just want to do that more and more and more, quite frankly. Yeah, I love I love that. I love I think that yes, the the you know, some people I ask that question of every guest. Some people I've heard people sort of say that that they think it's a stupid question. That's fine. Everybody everybody entitled to their opinion. But I think that the because because they think everyone says my family. But but there's more to it than that. Like, like part of my why is my family, but that that's it's it that's very surface level and in that is the sort of easy answer to say. But but yeah, to some degree, if you're an entrepreneur, some of this is, I think, for all of us, just that inner drive to mm-hmm. be successful and excel at, at something, something, something else. You know, like you master mm-hmm. one thing, you want to master another thing. So it's like yep. you kind of get to that point where you're just looking for something that will push you uh, in your own personal growth and finding something that then impacts others that does both. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's, yeah. it, I guess that's a good kind of selfish that leads to helping others. That, that's yeah. kind of hard, hard to be upset about that. Well, and you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I have a little bit of a rich dad, poor dad story in my background where my dad worked for LA County Sheriff's department for 35 years and bought apartments. My mom and stepdad were entrepreneurs and worked their fingers to the bone for 20 years and sold the business for a loss after they were done with it. And, um, I, I made some terrible mistakes financially as a younger person. And that becomes a weight 
that holds you down from truly becoming the man or the woman or whatever it is that um, that I would think that call it a higher power, whatever you want to call it. But if you're carrying this monkey around on your back, you cannot become the man that you're meant to be. And if you can take financial insecurity off the table and just kind of check that box, then you can truly show up and be a hundred percent of yourself, which we see. And I, I talk about this a lot. Like I spent most of my life being a vanilla version of myself because I was so afraid I was going to offend people or not be liked or whatever it is, but I can truly show up and be a hundred percent me and love the person that I am because I am not a slave to all this other stuff that used to completely be my master. So it's going off maybe on a little bit of a spiritual tangent, but um, that is the true, the true reason. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know that I don't think I fully grasped this until I left my W2 job, which by the way, like doing something I love to do. It's not, it wasn't like I got to escape this, this, this terrible job or something like that. But once you, once you do become, you know, sort of completely in control of your own time, it's, it is really very, uh, you know, sort of life-changing and, and, and yeah, probably spiritual to some extent, just like, wait a minute, this is, now I can really do what I want to do. I can really right. sort of make that it's, but so we, your, your life, so many of us, life is, is structured for so long, right? It's like mm-hmm. school and then call, you know, high school, college job. Like it, it, you have to be at this certain place, these certain hours, and then that structure goes away. And it, there's a little bit of a, I don't know, figuring it out, finding yourself, whatever you want to sure. call it in there. Like, well, now, now I have to structure it, like, you know, like, so there's a challenge to it, but yet once you kind of get in that groove and feel comfortable with it, it it's pretty amazing. No, I agree. hundred percent. Um, next question for you, Randy, tell us something about yourself that, that, uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, anything that, um, you're comfortable sharing that would get, uh, let people get to know you better. Interesting. Okay. Um, boy, well, I'll, I'll tell kind of an easy one, but it, it, there's kind of a lesson to it as well. Like I, I, I was involved in sports kind of in high school. I was never like an achiever at all. I probably um, kind of fell off of that wagon after high school and did not um, stay in great shape and do all of those types of things. And I think about 10 years or so ago, I started running and then started um, doing some races. And of course I, I am kind of a, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing in excess type of guy. So, you know, I started doing races and half marathons and marathons, and then I found triathlon. And this whole time I've I've always kind of like joked, like I'm kind of the chubby fat old guy. Um, Like I'm not really an athlete, but I made a decision that I was going to do an Ironman, which is quite frankly, when I was first looking at it, like I would watch all these videos about it and I would like, I would tear up. There was something in that that really just moved me emotionally. Um, so I made the decision to do it and I trained and I got a coach and I I made it across the finish line at 13 hours and some odd minutes or what have you. And um, when I, when I woke up the next day, like I truly felt like I can, I can absolutely accomplish anything if I put my mind to it and I allow myself the grace to, you know, to stub my toes and make mistakes. But, um, 
like it was an amazing experience to do that. And I'm still kind of like the chubby fat old guy. Um, but I'm the chubby fat old guy that did an Ironman has done multiple marathons. And like, it it was a, it was a life-changing experience to go through that. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Great job. Great job. Finish. I, I have not done an Ironman. I've done some sprint triathlons, but I, uh, I'm not a strong swimmer. So it makes me nervous to be like, yeah, I'm going to swim two miles. (laughs) And people, people die on the swim of all, of all things, you know? Yeah. That's that's the part that, that like actually makes me very nervous about doing one but i i think <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it, yeah it's it is incredibly powerful and and um you know like you said i i i did some marathon training i did i ran some marathons because in, mostly in large part because i'm uh, originally from boston and i had always i never i wasn't a distance runner i, I grew up always doing like I, I played soccer, I did track, but it was always short distance stuff, right? Like yeah. a sprinter and a jumper. And so, but when you, when you get to be that old guy, you, there's, you can't compete. There's no competition. There's not like a long jump competition for, you know, 45 year old. That doesn't, that's not a thing. So it's yeah. like, okay, what can I do to sort of maintain that, you know, component of my life, like being athletic and whatever. And so for a while it was, I, I went, you know, sort of went to running and distance running and did some marathons and I, I eventually did Boston, but it, did you really? Yeah. I mean, I, it was, I, it's a funny story. I did, I did Boston on the hottest day in the history of the Boston marathon. So they had awesome. It was like, because Boston Marathon, people don't know, is in usually in April, like early April. Yeah. And in Boston, it's like, you're lucky if it's 60 degrees, it was in the nineties. So yeah. I had been running at my, like my best. I was running like under, under four hours. Like I thought I might actually be able to, to qualify for the following year's Boston marathon by, by running. I ran it through charity. <laughs> it was so hot. I started getting cramps after like nine miles. It was the worst thing. Like it was the most amazing and also worst experience just because it was so, yeah. I could run a little bit and then everything would cramp up. My legs felt terrible and I'd have to like hobble along until the cramps went away. But there was no way I was ducking out of that race. I was like, this is, yeah, this is my awesome. home. I am seeing this whole thing. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool, um, you know, place. And as you said, like you got, you know, when you, you finished an Ironman, like that's just an amazing feeling. So good for you. Um, and yeah. congratulations on that. When people hear this and they want to reach out, what's what's the best way? Yeah, um, and, and kind of the way you and I met, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. It is my primary uh, communication source. So LinkedIn, Randy Smith or Randall Smith. Um, but of course, you can go to impactequity.net or I've got a podcast called The Gentle Art of Crushing It, where I do a Thursday episode completely focused on educating and inspiring the passive investor. Um so really any of those three areas are a great way to find me. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, my final question for you, Randy, what would you tell someone who is a piece of advice for them getting started in real estate? They're they're looking to, wh- whether it's passive or active, what would you kind of tell them is the best way to get going? Yeah. So regardless what you do, um, I would say set a date and start, period. Like that's it. If If you don't have your financial house in order, your, your goal should be get your financial house in order. And if your house is in good financial order, then pick a date, invest in a deal within the next 30 days. There's no reason you shouldn't do it. Yeah. I like the, I like the pick a date part people, you know, there's a lot of just get started kind of, and that's, that's out there, right? You see it on social media, 
but yeah, picking an actual date that, you know, mm-hmm. so because it's easy to kind of continue to think I'm going to start here, you know, when this happens or when that, but yeah, you pick a date and, and just make it happen. So I love that. Um, listen, this was awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking out the time and, and coming to, to share your story with us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, folks, I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, please like, rate, and review so that we can get more great guests like Randy. Have a great day. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.